Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuckabillies? What the fuckineers? What the fuckanots? Hi, it's Mark Marin. How are you? Are you okay? Everything good? Are you running? Are you driving? Are you on the train? Are you at home cooking or cleaning? I hope it's going okay. I don't know how you're listening to this or where you're listening to it. I just talked to somebody who, uh, who I met at a party the other night, the 4th of July, and she said that some of these uh, episodes were, were, were so moving that she would uh, be moved to tears, um, and she had to stop listening to the podcast at work because she didn't think that when she told her coworkers she was listening to music that they were buying it, and she had to keep her shit together uh, at her job, and I, I took that as a very high compliment. Some of these things are emotionally compelling. But uh, I, I, I'm sad that I can't help her uh, distract herself from her job anymore. But, uh, but it was for good reason. Can I plug for a second? Because I got these shows coming up in Boulder, Colorado, Friday, July 24th at the Boulder Theater and at the uh, Paramount Theater in Denver, Colorado on Saturday, July 25th. And uh, i like some people to go. We were doing okay. But it'd uh, be nice if more people came. I, I don't always know if people know I'm coming. It doesn't seem that there's anything I can do to, to get the word out as efficiently as I might want to. So I'm telling you now. Boulder, Friday, July 24th. And Denver, Saturday, July 25th. That's that. That's how that goes. Uh, Laura Jane Grace is on the show today. She is uh, the singer for the band Against Me, punk rock band that's been around for a lot of years. I knew nothing about them. I knew nothing about her when I got the uh, the record in the mail. I don't even know who, who sent me the record. But I put it on, as I do many of the records I get, most of the records I get. And I listen to it, I'm like, damn, uh, this singer means business. This band means business. There's a lot, of, uh, a, a lot going on here there, there's something underneath all this and the band the, the album was called transgender dysphoria blues still had no idea knew nothing about him and it turns out laura jane grace is transgender and uh it's relatively new uh that she is laura jane grace 
And I became sort of fascinated with that because whatever that struggle was, in my mind, when I just did a little bit of research, really informed this record. That this record was about, you know, real change, real conflict, struggle, uh, and um, and uh, identity. And I was uh, nervous. I, I don't know if I was nervous, but I'm, I, I'm awkward in... I, I've not. It's it's. I mean, I'm sort of an old guy when it comes to this. The uh, the politics around it and the social momentum and and I and I didn't know if I was going to talk right. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's new. I just it's not in my everyday life necessarily. It seems like the younger people, uh, who who kind of came up with it and grew up with it, uh, like uh, the woman I'm dating, Sarah, who spent a lot of time in San Francisco, and she's uh, uh, in her mid thirties and. It was just, it just is what it is. But I, I, I seem to have missed that, or perhaps I was just in stand-up comedy clubs my entire uh, young adulthood and not out in the world. But I was, I was nervous in a way because I've, I've, I've made, I've, I've said, look, you can say whatever you want. This is a weird thing about, about words, names, you know, things that are, that we evolve out of culturally, but you, they're, 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 in, in this, this sort of re- reflects back to my conversation with the president and to you know some of the the type of feedback that comes around words. Is that you know censorship is 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 really cultural? It's it's no there's no law saying you can't say anything. You can say anything you want. Free speech does exist. You can say whatever you want. Just know that that. If you say something that uh, is hurtful or insensitive or objectifying, hateful, you're going to feel that. You're going to have to answer to it, perhaps. But it just it's not taken lightly. And then I understand, like, you know, there is an argument that, like, people shouldn't be so sensitive or or what's what's happening. People should be able to take the hit or whatnot. But the truth of the matter is, no one's telling you you can't say anything. You just might end up only hanging out with people that say that because they're the only people you can say it to. And then you're just going to have to assess, is that the group of people you want to be hanging out with? And, and are we in the right place with things? I mean, I'm, I'm a comedian. So we uh, you can say words that are culturally inappropriate, hateful, uh, objectifying. You can say them to people that, that uh, they may be uh, in in a broader sense directed at, but those people have a sense of humor about it and that is part of your uh, unique relationship with that person. That's fine. But you, you know, if you say them, if you defend your right to say them to a large group of people, it, you better you better have a pretty good defense on some level. But I had a thing uh, with the word uh, tranny. I believe I talked to RuPaul about this, who, who then defended the word and, and got his own flack from it. And... And, uh, you know, in my mind, it, there's, it just seems to me that, that words come and go. That words, it, they're, they're, it's something about a social democracy, a cultural democracy that eventually, you know, public opinion, you know, moves past it out of respect for, for the usually minority that uh, was being uh, dehumanized by the language. You don't say Chinaman anymore. You know, you don't, you don't say WAP tranny you know seem like uh, an innocuous one to even me but but it, it as as culture evolves and communities grow 
and and demand uh, the respect they deserve as people. Uh, maybe the slang bothers them. Maybe it hurts their feelings. Maybe it makes them feel less than. But no one's saying you can't say anything. It's just the way cultural democracy works and social democracy works. Is eventually it's sort of like, hey, well, you know what? Uh, this 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 word is is uh, is, is hurtful and and uh, it's uh, dehumanizing and. And it's making a, a community of people uh, feel uh, shitty about themselves. And it's not easy for them to begin with. But they can say it. <laughs> that's, it. That, that, that's, that's, just, that, that's just part of the, uh, the way it goes. But uh, to demand equal rights on that, well, then you're going to have to sort of really explain uh, where that's coming from, your need to say that, whatever that may be. But getting back to to Laura Jane Grace coming over, I, I just needed to know. There was a lot of things I needed to know. And there was a lot of things I needed to know about her. There was a lot of things I needed to know about, you know, my engagement and interaction with uh, transgender people. And, uh, you know, um, I, 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 I want to grow. I want to be up to speed. I want to be appropriate. It, it, it's hard. It's a hardship to make around... Um, you know, just changing habits, especially word-wise. I mean, it was, look, it, it was hard. It's hard to let go of, of certain words, uh, uh, you know, especially when they got a little punch to them. I mean, you, you know, I, 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 it took a, a lot for me to let go of retard. Any of the flack I got for that was from families of uh, mentally challenged people. It's, uh, it's hard for me not to, uh, to use the word cunt but I never use it for women. I only use it for men. And, and I'm still not quite past that. Uh, sometimes I enjoy, uh, you know, calling a, a guy a cunt on Twitter. Sometimes I, I enjoy it. And it's hard. It's hard to let go of that. Tranny was not a big one that I used a lot. Uh, so that one wasn't hard to, to shift out, to rotate out. But, uh, you know, we all mist- make mistakes. I said gypped the other day. And someone said, you know, that's that's slang is derogatory, you know, against gypsies. And I'm, and then my first response was like, really, really? Is there anybody really upset about that, gypped? It's like Jude down. Yeah, but does that really, I mean, I, I, okay. Yeah, all right. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, I'll I'll be aware. I'll be aware and I, will ch- and I, and I can take that out of rotation. Because once you start doing that and once you start being aware of those words, it sort of opens you up to experience things in a new way. It, it, it opens up, you know, a different type of respect. It takes down a wall that's sort of defensive or, or based on lack of uh, sensitivity. And it opens you up a little bit. And I, and I was very open here. You know, I, I liked Laura Jane Grace's work. But, uh, but I was nervous because I didn't want to be inappropriate in terms of how I handled the conversation around what I needed to talk about, which is I, what, what happened inside of you to make these decisions. I want to know. I want to feel what you feel. I think, I think I did all right. I think so. I've been going through stuff, doing some summer cleaning. And, and folks, I do try to listen. This is the interesting thing about the, you know, sometimes things get through. I get a lot of artwork, which I always keep, and, and I'm running out of space to, to, to put it up. Uh, I appreciate all of your creativity, and I'm very flattered by it. Even though uh, the president saw it as narcissistic, a lot of the pictures of me are pictures that you guys do uh, here in the uh, 
in the garage. All the CDs that come from you personally and the vinyl that comes from you personally, I try to listen to. Uh, more so the records, because I'm into records, CDs, I'll go through. But I make snap judgments. But I'm just telling you this. Sometimes things get through. I will listen to all the vinyl at least once for a bit and a lot of the CDs. And sometimes things get through. Like um, Against Me's Transgender Dysphoria Blues. It got through. And uh, they are on tour right now. Uh, Against Me is on tour. You can go to againstme.net for tour dates. You can get Transgender Dysphoria Blues, and you can pre-order their new live album, which comes out in September. And, and they've got a very, the very prolific band. There's a big catalog there. So now, now I'm going to talk to to Laura Jane. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. I actually put all my stuff in storage right before I left on this most recent jaunt just because I was like, my landlord wanted to raise the rent and I was just like, screw it, this is ridiculous. You know, oh my God. Paying like whatever. That's for crazy touring. Yeah, well, that's that's what you got to do to make, make a living as a musician, you know? But I mean, like, uh, do you have a house? Um, well, I I own a house with with my ex, who I'm going through a divorce with. Um, so, like, I own a house in Florida that I rented out. What to part of Florida? St. Augustine. Oh, really? But it'd be, beyond like having a house there, I've been in Chicago for since like 2013 or whatever. In an apartment? In an apartment, yeah. In in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Since 2013. Yes, August of 2013. That's when you split up with the wife. That is, yeah. Uh-huh. That's when, when she, it all went to shit. That's <laughs> when everything <laughs> got fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Life has a tendency to do that to you sometimes. Well, you've you, you've got through some uh, dramatic uh, shifts <laughs> in the last few years that's understated huh yeah <laughs> but like here's the thing is what i was telling you is i know we have a lot of common fans and people were excited to uh to have us talk is that i don't know where i got the new record the cool. trans the transgender dysphoria blues but it was sent to me by your label or somebody well and i'm I, we're our own label so i don't know i don't know how i got it, it. yeah you, that's cool you have you, it you didn't send it to me no uh-uh I mean, what? unless maybe our management did or publicist, I don't know, or something like that. Yeah. All I know is that, like, I get a lot of records, you know, and, and oh, I get a lot of records mm-hmm. sent to me, and I listen to them, and I put this one on, and I'm like, well, this sounds fucking real. Like, I, and, like, and I'll listen to records that, you know, people send me, and it, they don't always click, you know, right. for whatever reason. I do, too. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. you just put it on, you're like, I'm not going to listen to this again. Yeah. But this one, I'm like, I gotta listen to it again, and and I was like, there's some earnest, angry, interesting shit on here. Cool. And then and then I kind of did a little research into you, and I'm like, who the hell's this 
person. <laughs> well, and then then like when I when I oh, I think I actually tweeted that I liked the record, mm-hmm. and then everybody was like, "Oh, you got to have Laura on." And and then I realized that you have this following, and you've been you've been around for a while. So yeah. and then I had to go back as I do, and I got to buy the other records. See, I, you sold a few records <laughs> in the last few yes. days. But the interesting thing about it is like the the and I also had to look up dysphoria. Most people trip up and say dysmorphia or some other variation well, I, well, of that. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I didn't know what exactly it was, but it's like a fairly familiar state to any creative person. It's an uneasiness and a depressive uneasiness, right? right? Kind of the, the opposite of euphoria. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but it seems to me that, you know, despite the, the title of this record and whatever you've gone through recently, that like for, for someone who was gravitated to punk rock, dysphoria was something you live with all your life. It was, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was what pushed me to punk rock, just because punk rock seemed like such a. It was, it was like armor, you know, yeah. like studs and spikes on your leather jacket and a mohawk, and right? Like, yeah. So where, but where'd you grow up? South Florida and Naples, Florida. See, I, I don't know anything about it. I know Florida. Like sometimes I, I get a little weird about Florida, but my mother lives down there. A lot of people there. do. Yeah, well, other like, than a lot of people's mothers live in Florida, right? <laughs> but like, uh, but like, there's there there's an element down there. That in my mind, like, and they people have gotten mad at me for busting on Florida, but some people, there's like, uh, it's sort of the end of the line down there. For, yeah. For uh-huh. in a lot of ways, mentally and physically for some people. For sure. And well, that was very much the perspective growing up of like, you are at the end of the line and the only way to look was north because right. unless you wanted to swim, you right. know, like you yeah. had to go north, you especially Naples. Yeah. And that was like, you know, pre-internet days. So it's like no bands ever toured down there. There was no pre-existing punk scene. Yeah. You know, that was when you really had to kind of invent your own thing when you were a kid. How old are you? I'm 34. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And in what was your family like? I mean, where were what were they doing down there? Why'd you end up there? Uh, my, I grew up in a military family and my parents divorced when I was like 12, 13 years old. So I moved with my mother and my younger brother in with my grandmother who had retired to Naples, Florida. So that was it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that, that doesn't sound great. No, I mean, it was not a good experience. Well, we, we moved from Naples, Italy to Naples, Florida. Oh. And I had lived in Italy then at that point for like four or five years, you know, yeah. and really had gotten accustomed to that because it was probably like from grades like like second grade until like fifth, sixth grade, you know? Uh-huh. And there's an American base there? There is. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then what kind, what was your, what, what was your dad in the military? Uh, he was a West Point graduate, so he was a major in the U.S. Army. Wow. Is he still around? Uh, he retired. He did 20 years and then he retired outside of Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. Really? And do you guys talk? Mm, he hasn't talked to me since I came out. Or really? we haven't talked since I came out, yeah. Since you came out. Is there, now, is there a process, is there two processes of coming out? I guess there is when you're somebody who like does interviews and you know has a, a public persona. There's what, the, the private and the public, sure. Right, but I, I, when you say coming out as a transgender person, yeah, uh-huh. and that was uh, what that that becomes uh, relatively obvious. So eventually, right? Well, that was kind of the point was to go ahead and come out before anything was relatively obvious, because right? Because I thought that that would like, especially having you know, I play in a band, I have a career, and like people in the punk scene are in general kind of homophobic and kind right. of sexist. So if I would have not come out and just started like wearing eyeliner or expressing femininity I think people would have been like 
you know, way more unaccepting that if I had just said, look, this is what's going on to me. Can you please fuck off while I go through this and just like, you know, <laughs> maybe it'll be weird sometimes. I might not look totally uh, great all the time. You know, right, like, right. But this is what it is. So, right. you know, ahead of time. So, but it's, it's sort of funny though, like in, in my mind that, that like real punk rock purists, if you just started showing up with eyeliner and stuff, they might, as you know, they might even think that you were moving towards some other type of music. Oh, totally. Well, like Green Day, <laughs> right. Green Day is a great example yeah. of that. I mean, that was the first, first punk show I ever went to. And yeah. People make fun of Billy Joe sometimes for making, for wearing eyeliner, yeah, yeah. which is totally homophobic, you yeah. know, and totally transphobic and fucked up. You know? yeah, but it's also, it's also like, I, I think it also represents another kind of music. I mean, you see, you know, makeup more in goth and in rock and roll. And I think maybe punk is sort of supposed to be just, you know, raw. Right, I guess. I, I mean, it depends on what kind of perception of punk rock you had. And like, because like, if you look back at like lineage of punk bands, like yeah. Susie Sue and the Banshees, sure. they were a punk band, sure. you know, like, they, right. like, I mean, even the Cure had elements in punk sure. rock starting yeah. out, you know, and like, there used to just be a wider variety of what was able to interpret. Uh, Mike Ness, Social Fucking Distortion, Another State of Mind is right. like, you know, covered yeah. in eyeliner, the whole thing. Because I talked to him, who did I talk to? Mike Watt recently. And there's like, because uh, there's a punk rock style, but the, the original punk rock was really just about doing whatever the fuck you wanted totally and that's right. what attracted me to it because that seemed like it would be more of a safe space you know yeah like, yeah yeah and a lot of the like especially like late 70s uh english peace punk bands that were really into anarchist politics yeah. and stuff like that i was really drawn to that just because that was even way more liberal and like way more about like you know gender liberation and smashing you know but smashing they, the state but they happened to like uh, earlier i mean you come into that they, they were already nostalgia acts by then right by the time you were coming to it like they've been around a while yeah although it's funny to think about that stuff because i think about that in like relative like relative to my own career and yeah how, like okay you know almost been a band for 20 years and how like has it been 20 almost yeah. yeah and like the that it doesn't seem like as wide of a gap even though it is as long to compared to when i was listening to those bands from the late 70s early 80s it right was like only 10 years difference i guess that's you know? right yeah 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 so okay so your your dad and mom split you're 13 he's in the military he hasn't talked to you now what in like three or four years yeah but you were talking before that yeah i mean you know it's tough like when we when my parents split up you yeah. know like there was a definite separation and you know that like it was a dividing thing in my family and yeah kind of in ways the relationship never really recovered you know were you close when you were a kid yeah i mean mil you know the military is really a thing you know and if you're someone who's you know, went through, went to West Point and has been in the army for a long time. Like, you know, generally being really emotionally expressive or close, you yeah. know, and like open, like that is not a thing, right, right. you know, like it's just kind of a cold, especially when it's a German background too. You know? Oh, really? Mm -hmm. He comes from a German background. Mm -hmm. But what about your mom? Uh, what kind of background? Well, no, but her? I mean, like how was your relationship with her? Was she the buffer? Yeah. And I mean, I was really close with my mom. I was the first kid or whatever. I had how a many? younger brother, but. There's like, two of you? Mm -hmm. Where's he at? Uh, he's in South Florida. Really? Uh huh. He's like, see, if I wouldn't have started smoking when I was thirteen years old, I would have probably been his height. He's like six seven. He. Uh, You're pretty tall. Yeah, six two. But again, that would have been another five inches if I wouldn't have started smoking. Um, <laughs> but he like he cracks safes for a living, and he owns his own business installing like high end security system for people and security systems in South Florida. So you guys get along. Yeah, we do. Uh -huh. All right, so there you are. You're like, uh, what? Do you, so you get there when you're like 12 or 13 to Naples, mm -hmm. and and what what's it what's it like down there? I can't picture it. Is it just a wasteland, or what is it pretty? Well, it you know, starting then was a real period of economic growth where like 
you know, during that period of time, I think there are more millionaires per capita in Collier County, Florida, than mm-hmm. anywhere else in the U.S. And the two cities in, in Collier County are Naples and Immokalee. Immokalee being a migrant farm worker community with like extreme levels of poverty, right. you know. Um, so there was a real contrast. And in general, like it was a retirement community. So it's an older Republican white retirement community yeah. that doesn't want youth to be that to be seen or heard really. right you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah. there wasn't there just wasn't a lot to do besides like get in trouble you know right and what was the what was the kind of trouble you were getting into um you know it, like small shit like vandalism like yeah. you go to a golf course and you kick all the sprinkler heads off and stuff like that and yeah. then you know we used to rip head uh, hood ornaments off of cars yeah or stealing chromies off of tires yeah, and yeah. stuff like that sure. you know or like taking a battery and throwing it car windows <laughs> dumb shit pellet know? guns we had pellet gun we yeah paintball yeah. guns all sure. that stuff you know and what was the what was the the music that how did you form your little crew i mean because yeah i don't know what year what year are we talking about so that 1993 was, or so something like that so were you the uh the oddballs the uh, the you and your friends were the you were the punk rock kids totally and we went like i mean my group of friends that i kind of went into high school with like we met in middle school and like at first it was like you know listening to classic rock bands led zeppelin the doors pink floyd it's always there and right and then like but that like there was a real disconnect with the like kind of hippie movement that we associated with that because we got beat up a lot and it seemed like that that was like by jocks you know like we we were the freaks you know like and you sit together at lunch but not the hippie freaks well it was all just like you were the the freaks they like right, right small population so it was sure, like the yeah. skaters the hippies yeah, the yeah, goth kids right. everybody sat together but punk rock appealed because it was seemed a little bit more about fighting back and yeah. like even if you're gonna get your ass kicked throwing up a couple punches in yeah so that like and I, did you yeah totally totally i mean you know to varying results but it's it felt better to fight back you know yeah <laughs> and and what bands were you listening to uh the first first record is Nevermind the Bullocks, Sex Pistols. And then that led into The Clash. And like there was all those classic punk bands that you first listened to, like the Dead Kennedys and the Misfits. Yeah. And then we kind of like gravitated towards what was more going on in the U.S. of like bands out on the West Coast, like Bad Religion and Rancid and No Effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then like... Just like, you know, you, you back then you'd read the liner notes and see who they thanked. And then you'd go buy those records. Right. And if you liked them, you'd see who they thanked. And they were and records. Go, right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Weren't they still records then? Mm-hmm. They weren't CDs yet? I did CDs and vinyl. But I've always preferred vinyl. So when did you start playing guitar? Uh, when I was eight years old. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So who taught you that? I mean, who gave you the guitar? I, I just... I, I saved up money mowing lawns, and I like got five bucks a pop. And where I had, where were you when you were mowing lawns? Not in Italy. Yeah, in Italy. Really? I, I ordered it out of a Sears. You were the American lawn mowing kid. <laughs> yeah. When you, and you, you ordered it out of a Sears catalog. What were you time traveling? <laughs> I did. It was one hundred and twenty-five dollars. You got a Sears guitar. It was a Harmony guitar. Oh, Harmony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a Sears? That's a Sears brand. It was out of the Sears catalog. Yeah. Oh shit! It was an electric. No, it was an acoustic. You what? I, that's like time traveling to me, like a Sears catalog. I didn't even know they still. That was your idea. If I guess you're eight, we, what do you like? Know? Where did you get it? We, you know, when you when you're an American family that moves overseas, you're really cut off, and especially back then, you were still really dependent on people back home and ordering things from back home. Oh, so someone got it for you? No, like I say that we, oh, you'd you, get the catalog. I saved my money, and, and then, you sent away for it. Yeah, uh huh. And I had to wait like a month, <laughs> like, and then they sent the guitar. And how did you learn? I took lessons from an army wife at first. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And she just taught on base and... Yeah. It, no, no. She taught at her home. Like, we yeah. lived off base or okay. whatever. And so... 
And you went over there and you learned your basics? Yeah, just like once a week. G, A, C, D, E, then the bar chords. I, you know, it's it's Move messed edge. up though because like learning on a an, an acoustic like that, yeah. especially when you're a kid, when you don't have strong fingers, like those guitars are basically yeah, like made for archery. Like the steel action. string, right? The steel string? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the strings are like an inch yeah. off the fretboard. It's yeah. hard to press down. Yeah. So that was really discouraging at first. What was your, what were your first songs? I wasn't really interested at first, like they, cause it was all like, you know, you whatever. for the guitar. What I know. But the book they gave you, it was just like, you know, it was oh, like, like Michael wrote his brother. Yeah. Like and, I didn't want to play that. So right. like I, I stuck with it, but I never felt like I was like, oh, I'm bad. I can't really play this because I was You're totally eight. uninterested, but I stuck with it. And then like, finally, when I was like maybe 11 years old, I started like playing in bands, like just yeah. with my church group, we started up bands and what, what kind of church were you in? Uh, it was a Presbyterian church that my mother brought us to. I have no idea. What it was just had. more like when she Something divorced, did, she right. wanted to be social and there was like right. childcare. Sure. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. It wasn't, a, you didn't, you didn't grow up with the weight of God on you. Not, not heavy. No. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So now when do you start to feel different? I felt different my whole life. Those yeah. are like earliest memories, you know? Uh-huh. Like earliest memories? Like what do we talk if about? I, if I can like think of my three earliest memories, which are like kind of just, you know, those weird disconnected visual impressions. I remember maybe being three years old and like standing on the top of a staircase as the first one. And then I remember probably four or five years old, Fort Hood, Texas, standing in the living room in front of the TV and Madonna was on the TV and feeling a sense of identity in watching Madonna perform. Right. And it was like a weird moment of both like, oh, that's amazing. You know, she's performing, she's dancing, she's singing, you know, like this is crazy music I've never heard before and I, I like the melody. Sure. But then also a feeling of like, I could do that too and immediately recognizing, but like, wait, I'm not, that's not how people perceive me. There's a disconnect really? And how old were you? Four or five. Huh. And then, and then what, how else did that Then happen? after that, I distinctly remember like within a year or two after watching Rosemary's Baby and like feeling oddly drawn to Mia Farrow because sure. she had like the pixie haircut. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, wait, maybe there's a chance for me because I have hair like that. That's how my parents get my hair cut. So maybe, maybe I'm not wrong. Maybe I could grow up to be like that. Yeah. You could grow up to be a, a Mia, woman. Ma- grow up to be Mia Farrow <laughs> in particular. <laughs> might, yeah. All right. <laughs> I lofty ambitions yeah. madonna or mia farrow i fell a little short but Good role you know, models. it's not over yet yeah <laughs> like all right so you're playing guitar you're 11 and you're starting to get the hang you starting to decide what music you like 11 or 12 yeah well no i mean I, I i got a walkman when i was eight years old around when i first got a guitar and i started buying metal tapes like i got def leppard hysteria was the first so the, that was I your music bought. yeah and that was like i was drawn to them because i saw in them ambiguity in the in their sex but you, you know, also like, like the music I did, although some of it really, you know. Well, yeah, I, I know, yeah. <laughs> like, but I liked looking at them. But I mean, really. you could find plenty of uh, ambiguity in rock music. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. you felt that. Right. But at the same time, too, because I lived overseas, I was totally cut off from MTV. Like, I right. really was stumbling into stuff on my own. So, like, I found Hit Parader magazine. I looked at the pictures oh, and yeah. I was like, That's I can't around. tell if these are boys or girls. Yeah. You know, like, and then sure. I'd go and buy the tapes and, and some stuff I'd like and some stuff I wouldn't. But you found that a lot of what compelled you was the, uh, the, 
androgyny of the people. Yeah, but then like the bands I was really drawn to was like the that had more of the nihilistic attitude. Like Guns N' Roses in particular was like my band when I was a kid. So they're a good band. They had a Appetite is great, and I stand it's behind great. Illusions. Two should have been Illusions should have been one record, but other than that, right? Lies was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I got no problem with. I don't know what happened with Chinese Democracy, but that's, I bought uh, it so I can criticize it. <laughs> I know I bought it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. it wasn't. I didn't like it. No, I don't know that I listened to it twice. I listened to it I bu- a bunch of times, but I illusions yeah. I listened to twice. Mm-hmm. So what was it? So you reinventing Axl Rose was your first record, right? Now, all right, but I don't want to miss a time chunk here. So you lock into Guns and Roses at like eleven or what? 10, eight years, eight old. years old. Uh huh. That's when Appetite when it first came out. Eighty eight or eight, it came out eighty seven. I was eight years old, and he's a great fucking singer. Uh huh. Compelling. Totally. All of them are Duff and Slash, you know, like I wore a Sid chain because Duff wore one before I knew who Sid Vicious was. Right. So you were pretty primed by the time you got to the Pistols Mm -hmm. with rock. I I was, I I knew a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) You know everything if you listen to Guns N' Roses and you lock in at eight. It's all there. But, But when do you start realizing that this is your future and when do you start feeling... Like I'm, I'm making an assumption in that, as your creativity evolved and and became what it was in these first few records, that your frustration with yourself must have been happening alongside of that. Right. Um. Well, I mean, I made the decision was what I was going to do really young. Music wise, like yeah, like I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I never had any doubts. I just knew this was going what I was going to do one way or the other. Yeah. Even if I was unsuccessful at it, this is what I was going to do. But you never, do. you never, you never started playing metal though. You never started. playing No, metal. no, like the first bands I ever had, like that. By that time, it was more grunge bands. Like we'd cover Nirvana songs and Pearl Jam songs. Oh yeah. And then, like at the same time, doing like Pink Floyd songs or Beatles songs. And then that was like, and then we got into. And that's how you learn how to play, I guess, basically with other people is play it's, the play yeah. the play the hits. Play <laughs> it's the classic. stupid how I can still remember to play songs from then. Like I know how to play Even Flow, but I don't remember how to play some of the songs I wrote like five years ago. Really? <laughs> so. It sticks with you, right? It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a hit song. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So because, like, I mean, like when I listen to like some of the older stuff. Like it's it's sort of fascinating to me that there you, you know that the 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 punk rock form like it, it feels a little f- familiar like you like in in the sense that like the Clash or like I can tell where you're coming from mm-hmm. but your your singing is so you know kind of raw and brutal and 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 full of uh, a type of intensity and anger that that is you know rare and you know you don't sound like anybody else but like in looking at the arc of your life I have to assume that the anger that you were feeling became much more defined with this new record for sure but also i mean it was like it was there i mean you mentioned that a second ago like really what like made the anger levels like grow and dysphoria grow as like my band progressed was as we experienced success Uh and as you're further cast into because when we started out we started out with really like specific ideals of being against all that you know and like against me it comes from what uh, feel, being 17 years old and feeling like everything in the world's conspiring against you. you and know? then you're like, pushing back with this music. Sure, that was yeah. my outlet. And, you know, we were really starting out of the way the band started as far as on an acoustic guitar is because, like, I didn't have an electric guitar, so I played an acoustic guitar. The drummer didn't have a drum set, so we dumpstered of pickle buckets, made a drum set, and that's what we did. And we didn't have places to play because it was South Florida, so we busked on the street. And then eventually, like, you well, met other people. At least you people. were set up for that. Yeah, well, that was the idea, yeah. you know, like, and that was what it was modeled well, 
Well, that's there. how. Well, that's. I think that's that's how Billy Bragg sort of started. I think and the Violent Femmes kind. Of, and there were totally. bands. And I was heavily, heavily influenced by both of them. And oh, really? Like, yeah, that was part of the beginning. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so you're busking, and you're doing this. You're doing your original songs. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're sort of. So those were two a couple of your influences, but there's some Clash in there. Sure, the Clash, and again, like all the peace punk bands, Crass, like Crass the Mob, yeah, like Flux of Pink Indians. But that comes a little later. You can't really do that with an acoustic and, and buckets, right? Well, when I was 14 years old, I got arrested, and it was like life changing experience for me because I was like 14 years old, beat up by the cops, charged with resisting arrest and a battery on an officer, tried as an adult, convicted as a felon. By the time I was 15 years old, for as what? We- I went to the beach 4th of July. There was I like ran into the wrong cops. I was a dirty, smelly punk kid. And I got lippy with them when they got up in my face. And then they beat me up. And were you playing in a band at that point or no? Yes, I was playing in a band. Not against me, but I was playing in a punk band at that point. Uh-huh. I had like so black, this was, spiky this hair. This was almost like, like a right to passage. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't see it coming, but yeah. So but I, I mean, so what happened? Why was it a life-changing experience? I mean, because I was fucked. You know, like <laughs> I, was, I was 15 years old and I was a twice convicted felon. Like I had really already sealed my deal as far as what my options were for the future. Like they, I was tried as an adult. I was. You didn't do jail time, did you? No, I got like 180 hours of community oh service, and I was on house arrest for a whole summer. You know, I was like low jacked. So where the fuck did you do that much community service? Uh, I worked in a hospital, and I volunteered in the cardio wing, like giving people like uh, Jello cups and, and water after they'd been walking the on punk a kid with the Jello cups. And I then I did Habitat for Humanity, and then I did like uh, you could. Choose what you could do? Well, I just had a lot of hours, so I had to do a bunch of stuff. And then there was this place, the Conservancy, that was like a nature conservancy. So, Well, that must have been, some of those sound pretty good. Like, they could have been good experiences. I got great things out of them. But it was like, when you're 15 years old and you're in that situation, right. you're scared shitless. Sure. And my okay. mom didn't have any money. And right. like, they're threatening you, like, you're going to go to jail or you're going to go to juvie, yeah. you know? And I didn't want to do that. You yeah. know, I wanted to hang out with my friends and play music. Right. And so, like, I immediately had that weight on me, you know? And, and it it was at that point because up until then like i had already gotten into drugs and alcohol and stuff like that what was your shit um i really liked tripping on acid and i really liked coke and i really liked smoking weed yeah. and at that point when i got arrested i just like sobered up and uh-huh. i was like 16 years old yeah. trying to get focused get on track right. and and that was when i started playing music and that's when i or like more seriously and stumbled into against me so you stopped doing the the drugs mm-hmm. and just full-on focus so that's where all that insane that you know vocal energy comes from you just the clarity of of pure anger i was pissed fear. yeah i was pissed yeah uh-huh. <laughs> but then like it sort of it seems to me like you know and i'm you know maybe being presumptuous or, or or maybe not fully you know recognizing the the arc of it it just seems like you know the first couple records are, are full on and then at some point around the third record you you, you did become a little self-aware and that you were shifting your, your your perception of what you were really doing creatively. Sure, yeah, and a lot of that just had to come, it came with success, because like we came from the scene that was really about this certain thing, DIY punk ethics. Who is, and, and you guys, you honored that by, like there was no punk scene. Like you did what a lot of the bands, a lot of the guys I've we talked to. We started it ourselves, yeah, put right. out our own first record. But records. this is two yeah. decades, I mean this is a decade later from the original wave of those guys, Sh- right? Or at least. This is like, well, like you you did have the internet 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And But it was coming as it was all happening and file sharing was happening and that right. was all changing. But it was, you know, like I was dealing with a much different perspective than people must have assumed I was dealing with. And part of that for me was always being recognizing like that I was dealing with dysphoria, you know, or like that I had that. And so it like always skewed my perspective. But that's like, retrospect. You're, this is retrospect that you're saying that with. Like, I mean, you- Sure, you, sure. You, no, but it's attached me. You know, like I saw things like, okay, like this is my circumstance, right? Yeah. This is what I'm facing. I'm playing in this band. These people are now calling me a sellout because we moved to a slightly bigger indie label. They're giving us all this money. All of a sudden, we got a lawyer, we got a manager, we got a booking and agent. your original fans are fuck youing you? Yeah, and they're like slashing our tires, being really? physically abusive, attacking us hold, at hold shows. On, hold on. <laughs> so when you start out, when you put your, yourself did your first record, right? First like two, like a seven inch and a 12 inch we put out just like, you know. So that's like, that's righteous to that crew, the, uh-huh. the DIY punk rock crew. And they, they can buy them at your shows and they can buy your t-shirts and right. you're like playing five bucks for a 12 and you're shit. playing on bills did you spend any time opening for acts that you respected that we just kind of booked shit? our own tours and went out and did our own tours so like, there was never playing any in house shows play, playing in basements playing on the streets still like playing sometimes you get a club gig but it was all booking it yourself for the first like four or five years but there was never the, the sort of like uh, you know the you know uh, a, a bigger punk band came into town they needed a punk opener and you well in Gainesville where we moved to no idea records exist and no idea does a really good job of documenting the punk scene there. And yeah. they've had a couple bands like Hot Water Music and Less Than Jake that have gone on to do things. Yeah. You know, they took a notice of us. We put out a record with them and that was like the first step to a really small indie and already then people decried like sellouts. But then, well, then Go we ahead, moved yeah. to like Fat Records, right. which is like slightly big, bigger you know, indie, a band yeah. that, you know, run by Fat Mike, who we had grown up listening to right. effects. And then that was like even more intense wave of like your sellouts, you know, like total witch. Why? Because no stuff. effects was sellout at that point? Did because they... it was a bigger indie. And then we started working with but like. Who the an... fuck are these people? <laughs> They're punks. <laughs> no, I get it. But like the, at, at a certain point, do you realize like we might have to lose? They'll come back around. Well, no, I mean, it was more just realize the hypocrisy of it. But once I saw that hypocrisy of it, then I like was like, oh, fuck this, that, you know, like do the punk thing. Think for yourself. These are my circumstances. Is, this is what I have to do. These are the decisions that are right for me. There's nothing wrong with doing the things I want to do. Right. And so I wanted to be in a band and play for larger audiences. And as you do that more and more, because we were touring like, you know, fucking nine months out of the year playing like 200 some odd shows a year like driving ourselves into the ground and most of the time we were homeless you know like so eventually you're like oh it'd be nice to have an apartment (laughs) you know like you don't be up a shower my own shower great you know but like you know when i so like that so around the third record that's the new label well that's when like yeah and we started getting major label attention and we got courted one whole round and like turned it down Got a bigger deal from like our indie and then went and like finally ended up signing with Warner Sire. So what was that record? That we White did. Cross or <clears throat> which record was the first record on the new label? Uh, the first record on the major label was New Wave. Okay. So because like, it, it, like I listened to a few of the songs and it seems that like as you're saying, you know, that these punks sort of abandoned you or they slashed your tires or they were mad that you were sellouts, that you also realized the limitations of that of the of that outlook sure totally totally uh-huh. <laughs> like you were maturing along with your success right in mm-hmm. a way it wasn't killing you no it, and it was healthy that was like the one good thing i had going for me you know so now so this um the uh dysphoria because like you know i imagine i had dysphoria mm-hmm. for one reason or another so like you're malcontent uh, you, you know, at, at that juncture where, you know, you blow out, you blow yourself out on all the punk rock shit and obviously you get a little older, a little more successful and you're still feeling a little shitty. 
then then it starts to become about something else, not just about, you know, class warfare or... or well, or, then or the dysphoria comes back. Yeah, because that was the thing is like, you know, you jump into this where you're like, oh shit, our band's getting like traction. We're going to go off and we're going to tour for three, four years or something. And then you're still unhappy. And at first you were able to push the dysphoria aside because you're able to solely focus on that. You know, like I'm going to be this person. I'm going to do this well, thing. Well, how are you operating within the band? I mean, how where was your sexuality at? Um, I mean it was there you know well i got i got married when i was 19 years old and i was married from when i was 19 and we probably became estranged from each other when i was like 21 yeah so then like 22 to 23 i was going through the whole like oh shit my marriage just fell apart like really this is the first marriage or the one that just ended my first marriage so you've been married twice yes okay and so then like 19 yeah and so 22 and 23 24 were like the lost years of coming out of a marriage and being really fucked up and sleeping out sleeping around a lot and yeah you're in a band that's touring a bunch and just doing stupid shit right so uh what where'd you meet that woman um at a bar or, yeah. well no honest i don't where did i meet her no yeah. i i met her at an activist info shop at the civic media center i think an activist an activist info shop oh a non-corporate press uh uh library lending library an oh. activist space in gainesville florida called the civic media center is where we met what was what was that place? What did they have there? I volunteered there. It was like an activist organizing center, okay, like okay. everything from like a women's group to like a, you know radical bike workshops to activist like training, a, a, like a, a full service activist uh, yeah. training center. Totally, what? totally, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. You... <laughs> what? What are you fighting against? <laughs> it's a These are the basic capitalism. Rules. Capitalism yeah. is that was the oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. We're gonna. I have to get a few books out. There's a few booklets on capitalism. <laughs> Noam Chomsky's luckily written a bunch. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Getting through the Noam Chomsky's. Did you read all of his? I did. I read all the Emma Goldman, all the Peter Kropotkin, all that stuff. So you, you were you just got a head full of it. Oh uh, yeah. I, I I mean I I used to volunteer there and I booked shows there. They'd let me book punk shows and that was where against me just like played all the time because that was the only place. So that would let us. Play. So your singular political agenda was against capitalism. Um, in your mind I mean at the time it was really against like you know the World Trade Organization at the time of like the 1999 like riots in Seattle all that protest movement was really happening and that was like all my friends were a part of that I had like connected with an activist group in Florida doing food not bombs and we organized into something called FRAN which was the Florida Radical Activist Network Uh and we'd meet up like once a month all talk about what we had going on in our area and then organize like rides to bigger protests or demonstrations against like so you've been an activist all your life Really, in one form or another, yeah. Huh. So that's pretty earnest, man. That's some <laughs> earnest punk shit. Because like, I'm sort of fascinated with the whole, the whole sort of like now, like as I said at the beginning, this record. You know, when I when I read the lyrics and I listen to it, the activism, you know, is, is not. It, it's not. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. That because of of your transformation, that you know you've resolved some things in yourself. And you realize there's still a lack of understanding and there's still a lot of reasons to be angry about, you know, how you're in- interpreted. Sure. It's very personal. So you're bringing that same intensity that you saw global injustice, you know, to this, you know, very sort of con- your heart's connected to this in a way that is uh, non-negotiable. 
I'd like to think that it's a little smarter even than like the politics I was singing about when I was younger. I, I, I of mean, course. If you're familiar with like Embrace, Ian MacKay's band, your yeah. emotions are nothing but politics. And this is something that's really real to me. The things I was singing about when I was younger, while I felt the way I felt and yeah. still agree with it, I didn't have as big of an understanding or a worldview at 19 years old as I do now at 34, having like been around the world a number of times you know well yeah i mean i used to do political talk radio lefty talk radio and, and at some point i realized that like i don't know if i'm angry about these specific things i know that i'm angry mm -hmm. so let, let's address the existential and personal foundation or the core of that anger exactly and and do it so so you were married once and that fizzled out and then you went through heartbreak when do you start wrestling with the desire to to uh become a woman well like 2005 or so you know i'd gotten really fucked up on cocaine and then 2005 i was like i'm gonna be sober i got sober so you went back to drugs yeah, yeah. clean myself up and like at the same time after having gone through a bout of like the way it worked back then was like these ex experience of extreme dysphoria and then like binging and purging and being like no you know like i'm going to be a man this is what i'm going to do i'm going to pretend i do not feel this way and that coincided with like signing a major record label deal and then you're swept off on that roller coaster but then come down from that you know when like you do two records and they're not a success or anything like that we went through this fucking lawsuit with the next manager things like you know like friends die shit happens in life and you realize like i still feel this way you know i'm fucked up you're uncomfortable and and i like i'm living this two separate lives i'm married i now have a kid we bought a house you know like and i don't know who i am you know right so when you did that and when you got married that second time you know was it you know a were you reacting to your feelings did you think that by doing that you know you could sort of train yourself into that life I think about it often just because I wonder if it's like subconscious, you know, because I would hate to think that. But I was really like, you know, I got focused, I got sober, I got healthy. I was yeah. like, you know, I wasn't fucked up making yeah. bad decisions. And then I fell in love. And I, w I didn't want to fall in love, but I fell in love. And it was more that like I fell in love and I n ignored really being totally honest probably about who I was as falling in love, you know, and just like suppress, suppress. But that made me more and more unhappy as especially as like you're kind of pushed into fitting this like cis normative lifestyle of like, you know, husband, wife, kid, cars in the garage. It's weird how powerful house. that is. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my fucking God. Like the walls would just like felt like they were coming in more and more. When when you said you questioned the or you were, you, you know, in retrospect, you know, trying to understand what falling in love meant. Now, what, now, has your sexual orientation always been towards women? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And still? Mm hmm So, that must be... I mean, that's not to say I haven't made out with a couple guys or anything like that. No, but, no, you no. Know, I, you know, I know, like, but I'm just like, in, in terms of... And I'm not... It's not a judgment thing. It's just like, I'm just wondering where the fight was. Mm -hmm. Like, when you say you fell in love with her, and you, you, you sort of question whether or not that was a sort of like, a, you know, whether it was earnest or not. Or whether you just subconsciously trying to fit into something, uh, it was just I just wondered what the the whole dynamics of that would be. But you just well because you're it. just being, you're existing, and at the time too, especially like I mean, you have to realize that I probably didn't hear the word transgender until I was like maybe even twenty six or twenty seven. It's pretty know? new for everybody, right? Right. I think. So like I didn't understand myself. It's not like I was carrying around. I still don't fucking understand myself. But it's not like I was carrying around full knowledge of like this is who I am and I have to hide this from everybody. It was like oh my. 
my God, I have all these feelings that are tearing me apart inside and I don't know how to reconcile them with with life and, and what I'm doing and who I am, you know, and like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. The idea of transitioning even like was a far off concept that I'd only ever like, you know, maybe heard about once or twice. I think we're all, you know, like from my, where I'm sitting, you know, I, I, I am not like I'm 51 years old. So, so I missed the, the movement in a way mm-hmm. of, of, of the trans movement. I mean, I, I knew it existed, but now it's like really, you know, in the forefront of, of, you know, gender politics and, and also the gender discussion totally. in this country. And I'm still like an old man when it, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I had to be schooled on the word tranny. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and, and then I, you know, I talked to RuPaul who loves that word, but, but like, I understand. It's a very like divisive word. No, I know. And yeah. and, and mm-hmm. I get why. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and I'm in no position necessarily to use that. Well, I don't need to use that word, you know, but RuPaul can. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but, um, all right, so so now you're married, and now these feelings are becoming oppressive and mm-hmm. and 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 completely uncomfortable. So, do you tell your wife? I did. I came out. Yeah. Uh huh. But what does that mean? That you when you come out like that, what do you say? Well, like I went, you know, like I dealt with these feelings to the point where I was like, this isn't going away, you know. So I was like, what what is? I need to be a woman. Or I need to. Yeah, like right. just like, you know, transitioning. Right. The idea of whatever that meant of like coming out with the way I felt. Right. And okay. saying like, look, I'm transgender or I'm a transsexual. This is the way I feel. I want to transition. I don't know what that means, but I want to transition. Like, I mean, the the level of, of uh, information out there was like pretty like... It's like YouTube testimonial videos, you know, like a couple fucking <laughs> lo-fi websites that like point you in directions, you know? And I was like living in yeah. LA at the time, like staying up, like watching these testimonial videos. Right, right. And it's like, okay, yeah, I think you can get on hormones, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, okay, there's doctors that can do surgeries. Like, I don't fucking know where to turn to, so you, you know? Like, but you were, you were like, you were sort of like, I, I got to start this. Yeah. I mean, and I what'd realized, your wife say? Um, I, you know, she said, okay, like, that's okay. You know, like I, like I just came out to her and said, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a transsexual. I'm, I want to transition. And I don't, she didn't know what that but meant. But had you been a practicing transsexual? What does that mean? Practicing, I'm practicing my transsexualism Well, I mean, nightly. did you no. like, uh, like, um, I guess I mean, like, did you dress, you know, did you find comfort? Dress and femme, sure. Yeah, and totally. And like that, w- but like I have a lifestyle that like I spend a lot of time alone and sometimes I'm like really by myself. Like when I'm working with a band producing a record and I'm living in a hotel room or I'm sure. I'm on tour, I have a really separate life from that. So it was like I was living two lives. Yeah. I was fucking living half a life in a hotel room. And when I was in a hotel room, I was, you know, expressing the way I felt. I was her or you're, whatever. You're putting on makeup and like dressing in, in like wearing the clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dressing, wearing the clothes. Yeah, yeah. wearing women's clothes, yeah. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, it's I'm fucked not, I'm not up. shy. No, I but it's a terrible it. experience like yeah. that because, you know, you're you're in this like stupid fucking high stress situation where you're like, okay, you know, I got to go into some shitty department store to buy clothes that I don't even want to wear really because it's not my style, but this is the only way I can fucking like relax and, and really? express this, this, this fucking like way I feel to calm this like tension wow. that I feel inside of me because otherwise I'm going to fucking like snap on someone and just really? lose it you know that's in, that's profound so and then I guess what you're saying is that because you were living these separate this separate life and it was like really limited to these hotel rooms when you were working that it's hard not to associate that with the idea of shame 
well, yeah, I mean, you feel like you're almost having an affair and you are hiding something, you right. know? And it's like, why can't I just fucking be who I am whenever I want to be who I am? You so know, you're in, in this hotel home. Right. So you're in this hotel room losing your mind and you're like, I just need to, like, what pieces of clothing were, would be most comforting? What pieces of clothing? Like, not- wait, wait, you go to a department <laughs> store and what, do you buy a dress? Do you buy a robe? Do you buy some panties? What do you do? <laughs> panties is a gross word. I don't what know. Underwear. Isn't it a gross what, word? What, what, um, what, you just like whatever, fucking even like a fucking woman's cut shirt, a okay. woman's cut tank and that top, would, and you, uh, like anything to express femininity. Yeah, you and know? then you'd feel like, better. Like you'd be like, Ugh. yeah, I feel like okay, I'm like expressing the way I feel, even though it's like a weird fucked up version of it. Right, it's not like it's it that that was even more dysphoric than just being as I am now. But. You know, that changes the experience being out with it. Now it's a totally different thing. It's not like I get off by going to a fucking department store no, now know, and no, buying pa- panties and so Going to a hotel room. And then fucking going to a hotel and rubbing them or right. something. No, no, that's, no, no. And, and I, I didn't think that to begin with, but it was really the idea of, because I think everyone uh, or most people deal with the, a discomfort that, that seems like it can't be resolved. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you were able to address it so specifically and, and, and have to reckon with that and not feel ashamed of it or, or, or feel like a freak for it other than the, you know, the idea that you were hiding something, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big step. Right. Obviously. And to realize you had to take it and then to take it is, you know, it's, it's big. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of people that have the same feelings just die with them. Mm-hmm. That's, right, that's the case. I mean, well, if you look at suicide suicide statistics among the transgender community, you know, it's like something like fifty percent at least attempt. You know, that's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. You didn't. No, but I've been slowly trying to kill myself for the past thirty four years with alcohol and drugs as a result of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel like that that was the unhealthy. So you, side you, of don't, it. you don't do any drugs or alcohol anymore. I do, but um, I I mean now it's like now know, it's just fun now. Yeah, no, no, seriously, it is now. It's just <laughs> recreational and not fucking dysphoria in like related, you know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay, if you say so. <laughs> you, you can. I guess it, you know you'll you'll deal with that other shit later. Let's maybe ta- let's do a part two to this podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll talk to you in a few years. <laughs> See how your 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 happy go lucky drug use. <laughs> But like, but you, I'm just talking about smoking a little weed. You oh, there's know? nothing That's, wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But the, like the like the lyrics in this fucking record, you know, deals with all that. You mm-hmm. deal with the suicidal, you know, uh, with with the suicide uh, of people that that can't live with it or, or whatever. Right. And you deal with uh, your own sort of wrestling with it. You deal with the and I, I always assume that people write these from first person. Mm-hmm. But like you know the the idea of being totally closeted and being a bully is in here is in this record and then the um like the the discomfort this the first song like is is really the 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 transgender the the title song dysphoria blues is like that to me it was it's a powerful fucking song man well that's talking about like that experience you know going into those department stores or going into like you know whatever store when you're perceived as male and you're buying something and the red cash register is looking at you like 
you're disgusting. You know, like they don't even want to take the money out of your hand. But they what about when you even? But what about now? That like the, I thought, like some of that song had oh, to do. with... I mean, that's not. It's not like that's gone, right? Like know? the yeah. idea that uh-huh. you have to, you know, you have to honor yourself uh-huh. and you have to honor your feelings and and be who you need to be. But you cannot escape the judgment of of being physically who you are of other people, right? But by owning it, like I've been able to like feel a lot more comfortable and confident in a in a fuck you way in the in a punk rock way of like okay when you're hiding it you feel shameful and that in turn makes you feel defensive and Mm -hmm. closed off as opposed to being open about it and just being out there and being like look i am who i am you know like you may not fully understand that and i don't really care but i am who i am and i have a right to be here i have a right to shop in the store i have a right to do this do that do whatever whatever i want (laughs) to do and i don't have to explain it to you or justify it to you right i'm just gonna do it right and if you have a problem <laughs> yeah, I get it. Fuck you. Yeah. It's your problem. <laughs> it's your I'll, problem. Hope you can deal with that problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas before you felt scared and I didn't want to feel scared, you know? Well, it, yeah, it's, it's it's easy to feel scared if you, you know, you're going, like you want to be understood on your own terms and not misunderstood because you're caught doing something. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, because then you're all of a sudden you got to, you're in that weird explaining yourself position. Right. Like, and oh, that was something I thought about too, having a kid where I was like, what am I going to be like 50, 60 years old and I'm going to get caught and like, yeah. you know, like being that, like that, I don't want that situation. You know? Well, how old's the kid? Uh, my daughter is now five. And how, how is that all with the ex and stuff? Um, we're not in a good spot. <laughs> not, not, not really, you know, but we what did, really did, did, but did the, the separation have to do with you actually, you know, engaging in the transition process? I mean, was it something she couldn't handle? And then, and then like... no, I mean, it, I think it's all on me, you know, like I had a suicidal nervous breakdown about a year after coming out and I just like dissolved as a person, you know, I would like really, you, but you didn't attempt suicide. I I did, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, how? How? Yeah. Pills and, and alcohol. Yeah, classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, go with the classics. Yeah. But but this is a year in, a year after you came out, mm-hmm. and what what broke apart inside you? Um, it was a combination of things. Uh, you know, there was the the mental side where, like, I legitimately lost the foundation of why I was transitioning because I saw that my marriage had like gotten so far away from me because I had been like, I was scared, you know, was working on a record doing transitioning publicly. I had a studio. So I was just like locking myself in my studio 10 hours a day working on a record, which I legitimately needed to do. Was it this record? Yeah. Yeah. But also I was hiding, you know, like, and then, and then realizing like my marriage had fallen apart and just like that crushed me. But then at the same time too, I started having like this weird reaction to the hormone replacement therapy I was on. And so I, it turned out once I moved to Chicago and I got medical help that I had been living with a parasitic infection in my intestines. And so at the time I had been on estrogen, uh, progesterone and spironolactone. And so apparently the progesterone had been converting into pregnazone, which was causing these like crazy hot flashes. And I was like waking up in the middle of the night and like my arms would be clenched to my chest and I couldn't take them down. And I would be like burning with sweat, take a shower, come out and be it'd be like 60 degrees in the hotel room. And I was just messed up. Mm-hmm. And living in Florida, going through transition, you know, like it's just totally different than other places where there was like one doctor I could see, one therapist I could see dealing with gender 
Ender. And so I called the endocrinologist I was dealing with. This was in June at the time. Yeah. And they're like, the soonest you can be seen is August. So what? it was just like terrible health care. I was in a bad situation and had to... And, and was really messed up, you know, and it all kind of like was a perfect storm. Like a tree fell through the roof of my studio too and destroyed it. My bass player quit. My drummer had already quit. Like I was Why'd just- Why'd they quit? Various reasons. Yeah, I mean like really the drummer and the bass player are totally separate things. The drummer is just kind of a jerk. Um, and, the, and the bass player was a dear friend. Time for him to move on unrelated to that, you know, like, uh-huh. it, like that's the tough thing going through a lot of this stuff, even in relation to, to my ex of that's obviously what it seems like then is like you defer to the fact of like, oh, you're transitioning. Is it related to that? Why like certain things fell apart? Sometimes I wonder about that, but at the same time, like it did set off a chain of like a bunch of changes are now going to take place within your life, you know, and a lot of that is just the way it is in life and it's all a reasonable of a sudden question, things though. starts moving. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, and, and I don't mind taking, like, I don't mind accepting all the blame for anything. I just would hate to ever put blame or put any kind of guilt on someone else. Oh, for, oh if, for, if, if you didn't know that yeah, for sure, that you know, that's like, what they were reacting to. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I can't say that about right. anyone. Sure. And I, and, sure. and if they do feel that way, then that's fine and fair. And that's totally cool. But I would hate for them to ever feel guilt for right. feeling anything like that. Right, right, right. You just, so you're empathetic to the struggle that they may have within themselves totally everyone processes like you know the news of someone coming out in that way in a different way i think you know well i think that it's like you know coming out in this way you, you know is a is a is a relatively newish thing you know because I, I like you said i mean i i don't know that you know everywhere you can just make this decision and enact it and enact it i mean coming out as a as a as a gay person i mean that's sort of been around a while Right, but you know something sort of like because there's more to understand. I would think for some people, I'm like, wait, so you're how far is this going to go? When you know what what is it? How are you oriented? Like, there's other questions. If someone says I'm gay, they're like, oh, okay, so that's what you are. Then, but this is you know a little more complicated in a way. I think in a way though that also those questions which are really heavily placed on you when you first come out, yeah. can often like create this pressure on a trans person person that's unrealistic because you're asking someone who's trans to explain something they don't understand totally they're just taking a step and they're saying i identify in a way that's different than you probably identify we're <laughs> yeah. going to call that trans okay now i'm taking the step to figuring out what that means and figuring out what i want to do maybe that means re- hormone replacement therapy maybe that means eventual surgeries yeah but it doesn't always have to right you know sure so placing this pressure to like you have to give an answer now you're going to get surgery you're going on hormones what are you going to do you know like yeah, yeah. it creates this like mind fuck of a pressure like cooker where you're just like well, right. i don't know i, I don't know and just... especially when you do it publicly and you're like doing interviews and yeah. and people want to uh, you have to have like this so that set ha- of answers so that happens that was pressure yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that contributed to the breakdown i think so like yeah. you like oh, well, should i know the answer to these questions <laughs> do i do i need to do it to appease them yeah I, well, I, it I, gets in your head where you're like what go i don't full bo- I, yeah. all the way <laughs> i don't what am I doing as that's reactionary or what am I doing because I need to fit into someone else's understanding of an interpretation of gender or what am I doing because it actually makes me feel more right in my body. Right. That's hard to do in the public eye. That's hard to do out of the public eye. That's hard to do in general. Sure. It's just, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, you know, I, I have my own, um, like, I, I don't know how to talk about it. I'd imagine that most people don't want to talk about it. So, I, I, and, this is the best way to talk about it, right. though, I think. You know? No, no, absolutely. But like, I'd imagine the, the, the reactionary kind of like sensationalizing thing 
in in a conversation publicly about this in, in a press situation they may not try, try be trying to be sensationalistic they're just sort of like what what what's happening you know what are you going to do now do you do you have a vagina when does that happen is that what year does is, is it in progress i mean like i think there's a there's a fascination that may or may not come from the right place mm-hmm. but it's still there right and and I, I never really I guess the the empathy necessary for 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 the culture to sort of understand that you don't have those answers is a new thing. Totally. It, and and it, it's you know it's uh it, it's it's interesting. This is like this is new new shit. It's a brave new world. It is. Uh huh. Like because I go up like I've I've made bad jokes before in my life, but sometimes I think that in order for a culture to transition with you, uh huh. You know you. you a lot of times people are just laughing because they're uncomfortable. Sure. That's a legitimate like response that happens. Yeah. You know, and right. it's a much better one than violence. Right. You know, or, or fuck you or immediate boxing of the person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a sign of internalized transphobia that you, you've been ingrained with by growing up in a society that is transphobic. You know, that's taught to you. That's yeah. taught to me. That's what like instilled. That's how I knew without. It wasn't like my parents sat me down one day and they were like, don't be transsexual, all right? Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> like, even on the menu. Right, right. So <laughs> you learn about it because you see like, oh, sensationalized like headlines in like supermarket stands. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, like Ace Ventura. Oh, like, you know, all these things are thrown at you where it's usually the butt of the joke. It's a scary thing. It's obviously an unacceptable thing. It's a laughable thing most of the time. But it's So also, that's just instilled in you too. Yeah, but but also the thing that cuts through all that. I mean, you know, I think more than you know whatever values someone might have or whatever ideas or expectations they, they might have it's it confronts their sexuality i i but th- that's that's like part of it why you know it, it's, it's a conversation i've had with uh, a friend of mine specifically in regards to transgender women mm-hmm. you know and the levels of violence that that you know like they're subject to often and like why is it a violent reaction and it has to do with you know whether or not it challenges your sexuality of like so you look at a woman right Mm -hmm. and you check her out and then you realize maybe oh shit that woman has a dick right Mm -hmm. and that challenges your sexuality why right but also like you're looking well, that, at the they, woman because it's a sexist patriarchal society right. and that's most men's immediate but thing I, they I, do I, when I, they look at a I, woman. But you I'm know, not they're saying... like checking her out and then they realize like, oh, this this person doesn't fit what I thought they fit and now this somehow is an affront to my sexuality. But it does sort of provoke something where it's sort of like it's initially confusing and if feelings happen within somebody, you know, how they're going to interpret them. Like there, there is, it's, a, it's a new experience. Mm-hmm. That is sexual. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in that context, it's a sexual experience. Yeah. But I'm saying that the root of that has to do with more of like that it's a sexist society and that that's the way it works. Um, But I also say to back that to back up for a second or on a related note or whatever, too, if you look at the number of people looking at transsexual porn on the Internet, it's cis men, you know, like. Those are the people who are looking at transsexual of course. porn are, are straight men. Sure. You know, like, so what yeah. does that say then, too? Yeah. That it's okay to do it in the closet, but if you're caught doing it in real life, then you, like, it's... I don't know if I'd assume that they're all closeted because they're watching that porn. There might not be I'm, No, I'm just saying they don't know how to interpret what they're feeling. You know, they don't realize that, that they're attracted to that person because they're a woman, despite the fact that their the, genitals might right. be a little different than another woman's. But in my experience a lot with different, all the right? women that I've slept with, they all have pretty different pussy. Yeah. or fucking whatever sure. you know like they do yeah mm-hmm. same with same with cocks <laughs> there you go you know <laughs>
<laughs> what was the point of getting into that? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> we were just riffing, I thought. <laughs> but um, so where are you at with the whole thing? With the whole thing? I don't know. Am I'm not just living. Right? No, I don't know. I'm just living. You know, so I feel in a good place. But like, in the treatments and like, how does it, you know, where'd you level off? I mean, you went through, you had the, the nervous breakdown, you were on medicine mm-hmm. and, and hormones and estrogen that were not balanced properly. Is that something, you know, as you transition that you, you wean yourself off of? Do you hit a level with it? No. Do you have to continue well, taking these pills? I mean, it's, it, well, it depends on who you go to, but like, so... There was the level I was getting of healthcare in Florida. When I moved to Chicago, Chicago's informed consent, where you can go into a doctor, say, yeah. this is what I'm doing, and you get access to hormones. Uh-huh. Got much better healthcare in, in Chicago, and then I've been on injectables since I've lived in Chicago. And right. that's something you have to just keep doing. Yeah, once a week, you give yourself a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're, you're, you're leveled off with the, with the process now? You're I don't good? know. What, I don't know. If you're good. I mean, I again. I'm. I feel way more comfortable about myself. I'm happy. I'm doing what I'm doing. It's really hard to transition when you tour, like uh, traveling. I, it's hard for me to get refills of prescription. You know, like it's hard for me to make appointments to go through things like electrolysis. You know, I don't know. Like all this stuff is stuff I think about constantly. It's not like all of a sudden I was like, and I'm, you know, like no, I'm but just, like you, I'm but, just doing me. But I'm do you like, feel <laughs> like you, do you like you now that you're into it? Like what has it been? Two years? Uh, 2012 is when I came out. So right? three years. 2013. But remember. since yeah. you've you know actively been doing the therapies to transition, it's been uh-huh. like three years. Yeah. Now, are you feeling like, I guess my question is around, you know, what you were freaking out about before in terms of the questions, you know, like, like now that you've sort of started this thing, are you like, oh, okay, or do you, are you looking to do more? I feel like that I have a much better understanding of of what I need and what makes me feel right than I did three years ago, certainly more than I did 10 years ago, right. 20 years ago. Right. But I feel like that in another three years, another four years, another five years, I will even have an even better understanding of who I am and what I need. Uh-huh. I don't think that that's something that you can ever fully feel uh, like complete with or anything like really? that. Really? Or at least for me. Huh. Okay. I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but that's sort of like to me, like it's a, it's, it's sort of like, like with drugs or something like that, or or, or that feeling of not being complete in other ways. You, you know, like that. Is, is there something? Are, are you doing anything else around the psychology of of dysphoria that isn't you know transition related? Did you ever address other issues to your discomfort mentally or I'm trying to, you know, yeah. like I, I, I am an existentialist, you know, and I, like I oftentimes feel locked in thinking about things and thinking about the bigger th- picture of things and what certain things mean. And, you know, I don't know how to reconcile with my life beyond where my tour dates end. Yeah. And, and that that's like, I live a really weird life. I know, know, but like, like, what if you were to quiet it down? I mean, what do you, like, I, I like, see, like, I, I'm a guy, I'm a recovery guy. So I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't done shit in like 15, 16 years. You know, that, that was my problem. Right. But do I feel whole and complete all the time? No, I feel better about myself. I feel comfortable in my skin, but there's still something like, you know, what does it all mean? What's the fucking point? Yeah. So, you know, that hasn't gone away. No, I very much still have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's there. I don't want that to go away in a way, you know? Like, I know. I think that's, well, that's healthy. Sure it is. Yeah, but you should have some peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, it's a trip, you know, like... And I, like, I can't imagine, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I can't imagine that, like, it took me, like, you know, years. Like, I don't think I arrived in my body 
uh, until maybe five or six years ago. Just you know, when I started to get successful and feel like that, I I'd, I'd worked very hard all my life to do something. I did. It was a self esteem problem. Sure. You know, and it, and it just it sort of happened organically, but I felt it happen. So I, I imagine on, on some level that, you know, you taking this, you know, this making this transition has given you some of that. I mean, your, your self-esteem must be better and your comfort 100%, level. A hundred percent. My problems now, I guess, are more just like normal problems of like, oh, I'm going through another divorce, you know, and like, yeah. oh, I got to deal with the fact that like I work and I travel and I have a kid and how do I balance like traveling life with having a kid and being able to be a part of my kid's life when I'm not necessarily getting along with the mother, you know, like those are just like the realities of life that everyone has. Those are minimal problems to what other people's problems are. You know, I have it really good in that I enjoy what I do. I really love playing music. I really love traveling. How's you know? the community responded to all this? Um, you mean the community as in like music community? The or? punks. The punks have been really supportive and really cool. Yeah? A hundred percent. No dicks? There's been some dicks, but I mean, there's always a couple dicks, and then but they, like like people anybody, don't read the comments, but you know, no, no, but I mean, <laughs> in, in bigger, I mean, bigger dicks. I mean, like, are there any? Is there? Have you had any experience with people that you respected, or other musicians that have have you know, reacted poorly? No, that's good. No, uh, uh-uh. and that's something. Yeah, it's it's been really surprising, you know. Yeah, in a great way. And the bandmates, bandmates, totally cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's really not big, that big of a deal. I think is what most people like get after a second. They're just like, "Oh, okay, you just like would prefer me to use feminine pronouns with you, and then we're gonna practice at the same time, and we're gonna go on tour, and we'll hang out and have a fun, fun time, and you and still you, have the same sense of humor right. and like the same things, and you just look a little cool. more ladylike." Yeah, and cool. <laughs> That's what we're doing. You know, like great, <laughs> easy. <laughs> Do you get attention from men? Um. I, what do you mean? I like, mean sexual attention uh, since you've like t- transitioned this much. I, I guess I don't. Come know. on, <laughs> you want to look sexy, don't you? Sometimes you want to look pretty, don't you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I liked. You know, I'm the singer in a band. I'm a little bit like arrogant and vain too, where I uh-huh. think like everyone maybe has a thing for uh-huh. me to a certain extent. So well, I guess that's the way I carry myself through the world, right? right. You know. <laughs> well, that's good. That's. I think that's a good rock and roll position to have. Right. All right. So. This the new record's done. You're touring on this record, uh-huh. and you're big. Like I, I didn't like you know. I, I feel bad because I'm I'm so out of the loop. But I mean, you have a big following. We You're have, a popular band. We have a modest following that I'm very happy with, and I really like. Yeah, our I, fans. Believe me, I understand. I have a modest <laughs> following as well. <laughs> Wasn't that modest of me? <laughs> it was pretty good. But what do would you? What, how how's your ego? Do you want more? Do you always want more? Do you want to be big? Do you want a stadium rock? Or I what mean, do you want to do? everyone does, and especially like you. Want I f- don't. It makes me paralyzed with fear to really? to to try to. Well, I'm a stand up though, and it's very personal in a way that you know that's just me up there. So the idea of me performing for ten thousand people, mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of like what could they want from me? Honestly, like I'm happy that anyone wants to see me. I mean that like genuinely. Of course, like you want to feel like you're progressing and doing new things. Mm. And I don't want to feel like I'm just playing the same club over and over and over again, you know, and that it's never changing. So you do want to feel like growth. That's like natural. I feel like in a healthy thing and and ambition is a good thing. Sure. Um, And wanting to feel like you're reaching more people, especially it's so hard in the music industry these days where things are so skewed, where it's like, you know, like, each record we've sold or each record we put out last three records has charted higher yeah but like 
ultimately sold less <laughs> you know what i mean like it's sold less for sure week, but the chart position is higher so like you you know you you want some sign that you're still relevant in the music industry i don't know well i mean sometimes it's just about the fa- people who come mm-hmm. you know sales are tricky you know <clears throat> i've only really talked to uh i've talked to some you know big old dudes you know musician wise and a few young dudes but the only other real like honest punk that i talked to was you know patrick stickles from titus Andronicus. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's a piece of work, but like you know, it seems like you guys. I mean, in a good way. He's 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 yeah, he's something. But like, it seems like you know, when you're at the level you're at, it's just about touring constantly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and but that's what we've always been. You know, we we've always been a band that was about. And that, you've got original guys with you still. Um, my best friend James, who I met on the first day of high school, is my guitar player still to this day. So yeah. That's sweet. And you get along. And Fat Mike plays on your records. He played a couple on a couple songs on that record on Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Yeah, it's a good record. Thank you. And what about like how's your mom handling all this? My mom's great. She's been really supportive and from I the get go. Yeah. Did, did she experience concern initially? Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, like she, I, I mean, she's a mom. Yeah. She worries. She's a parent. Yeah. You know, like I think she was just wants me to be happy. Ultimately. Yeah. That, yeah. That is what they want. You think? I think so. I mm-hmm. think, I, yeah, I would hope that. And your brother? My brother's totally cool. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Just the dad. He's, he's not, he might not come around. <laughs> I, I hope, maybe. I don't know, you know? I, I don't mean, know how to do that. That's a, that was complicated regardless of, of gender dysphoria. Do, well, do you have, do you visualize anything? I mean, do you see, do you want something? What do you want? I feel like that even though I'm 34 years old, that I'm still allowed to be the kid and that if they're the parent that, you know, Act you, co- like you come to me, like, okay, so be my gonna, parent. You're going to hold out. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. You can check guess. back in. Yeah. Nice talking to you. You too. That's it. That's the show. Um, I loved it. I love her and uh, I, you know, I liked her music. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. The talk. Hope you dug the talk. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Check the calendar. Boulder dates are coming up fast. And Denver dates are coming up fast. Uh, that's uh, Boulder, July 24th at the Boulder Theater in Boulder, Colorado. And Denver, July 25th at the Paramount Theater in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Portland this weekend is sold out. Thank you. On Thursday, I'll be talking to Ed Asner. And also, we'll have a little uh, shorty with Adam Goldberg, which was fun. So look forward to that. Mm-hmm.